Here on Gadget Lab, we dive deep into the tech universe, tackling questions like, is giving companies access to your genetic material a good idea? And are the latest phone releases really that different than the last ones? We want to help you make informed decisions about what is worth your attention. And here's something that is undeniably worth your time, a digital subscription to Wired. Lucky for you, we are giving Gadget Lab listeners an exclusive discount, 20% off an annual subscription to Wired. Just visit Wired.com and use the promo code GL20 to get 20% off a digital subscription. Use GL20 to get exclusive access to stories on the latest innovations like AI, deepfakes, and VR, as well as today's most talked about people in technology. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Mike. Lauren. It's time for Gadget Lab to go on strike. Wait, really? No. Uh, we're not actually going on strike, though we are both members of the News Guild, yeah. and we have agitated before, mm-hmm. but no, we are not actually going on strike today. All right, few. Yeah. However, this is an episode about a strike, the epic Hollywood strike that's happening right now, and we're going to talk about what it means for streaming media watchers, for podcast listeners, and you know, for the writers and actors who are fighting for fair wages. So it's more like a solidarity episode of Gadget Lab, not exactly a strike episode. Yeah, it's a solidarity episode. All right. Well, I can't wait. Let's do it. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. And I'm Michael Calori. I'm a senior editor at Wired. And our colleague, Kate Nibbs, who is also a Wired senior writer, is back on the show joining us from Chicago. Kate, it's great to have you back in the lab. Hi, comrades. I'm so happy to be here. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we're going to talk about Hollywood today. And uh, before some of you tune out or wonder what the historic Hollywood strike has to do with you, well, this is the Gadget Lab. And this is where we talk about ways tech and digital media are changing our lives. So we want to talk about how all of this is affecting the creation of some of the most culturally significant film and TV shows that we all now stream. So a little background first. Back in May, the Writers Guild of America went on strike. And this was partly over who makes money ultimately from streaming media and partly over fears that studios could use AI to replace human writers and creators. And then earlier this month, the Screen Actors Guild, SAG-AFTRA, announced its own strike. And things really started to heat up because, in this case, some of the most recognizable faces, big, big movie stars, were on the front line of this. And so now most of the production of movies and shows in Hollywood have grounded to a halt. 
and it's all at a stalemate, which means it might not be over anytime soon. Kate, as our friend of the pod and one of our preeminent culture writers, we wanted to ask you what these strikes mean for the media we consume, the celebrity podcasts we listen to, and uh, whether this means we're going to be watching only reruns in reality TV a year from now. Okay, so first, what productions or films that we know of were in production at the time of the strike now have paused? So... If you know of any really big name movies or TV shows that are currently in production, they're almost all on pause. Uh, like, for instance, Gladiator 2, the long-awaited sequel to uh, Ridley Scott's masterpiece, is uh, uh, production has been halted. Euphoria Season 3, there's like a whole slew of adaptations. Like there's a Wicked movie, a live-action Lilo and Stitch, a new version of Interview with a Vampire. Like, Every major Hollywood production is halted right now. So this is going to have a tremendous impact on the media that we consume in the next year and maybe even the next few years, depending on how long the strikes last. So it's true that the directors have their own guild, right? The Directors Guild of America and producers have their own guild and they have contracts. So they're not striking, right? So something is wrapped with shooting and wrapped with like, uh, ADR, like dialogue and looping and all of that, and all they're doing is like editing the movie or putting the finishing touches on it, then the movie will probably still come out, right? I think most of them will, but there's some exceptions. Like I believe that Dune 2 is pretty wrapped, but they're considering pushing it back just because this strike, in addition to actors and writers not coming to work and doing their jobs, they're also not promoting the films. And mm. I think there's major concerns that uh, especially with the actors, because let's be real, people are paying more attention when someone like Tom Cruise is, is uh, promoting a movie versus who, whoever, whatever wonderful mind wrote Mission Impossible. Um, <laughs> if there's like a absolute blackout on movie promotion, that might seriously negatively impact uh, big blockbusters that are nearly ready to go. So it it might end up even affecting movies that you might think would still be able to come out just because you know there's a whole machine involved with getting getting a movie to the top of the box office we should probably talk about what it is the unions are demanding absolutely um you know there's a variety of demands obviously economic uh demands are the big ones in the streaming age the way that uh writers and actors are being compensated has changed quite significantly and it's usually in favor of executives and studios and a big disadvantage to actors and writers especially actors and writers who are emerging or even mid-career you know people used to be able to make a, a living off of residuals like journeyman actors uh writers who would be working steadily but not necessarily household names those people would be able to eke out a good middle class or even upper middle class lifestyle largely because they were being compensated more or less fairly and they were making money off residuals. That has changed in the streaming era. So writers and actors aren't, aren't getting the residuals they used to get or in some cases they're not getting any at all. Uh, there was a viral TikTok that really illustrated this with one of the actors from Orange is the New Black who... And that's like one of Netflix's most popular shows ever. And this is not a bit actor. It's one of the um, main main characters. I forget exactly what her name was um, in the show, but she was like a big deal. Anyways, 
she showed her residuals like and it was sometimes like 0.01 cents like it was nothing and it sort of demonstrated how uh these residuals that used to be things that you could like buy a house with are now things you can't even buy a coffee with um so that is one of the major uh demands of these guilds additionally and very uh, relevant to wired is there's a huge discussion about how ai is going to be used in films going forward and what that's going to mean for the actors and writers involved in making the movies whether it's ai being used instead of a writer for a screenplay or it's ai replacing background actors um in in scenes that are being shot so you know they're demanding at least a seat in the table and having conversations about how ai is used and not just having studios completely control this new technology i think um the discussion of background actors is really important because mm -hmm. a lot of people are probably reading the news and listening to the show and thinking like okay yeah hollywood actors hollywood writers they're all super rich why should we care but you know that's what you're seeing is the tip of the iceberg in the industry and there are you know hundreds of thousands of people who make a living off of this industry who make like as much or less than you do and background actors are a big part of that these are people who never have speaking roles or very very occasionally have speaking roles people who are just getting started out in their careers and they show up and they stand around all day and they get a payment for doing that because they're on camera they're in costume. They've gone through makeup. They do all the things that an actor does except for speak lines. Um, these people could get replaced by digital simulacra of them. Uh, you know, I'm sure that there are companies that are working on it. There are companies that offer this now as like a plug-in in, you know, uh, Adobe software basically where you can just sort of fill in a scene with people. Just like you fill in a scene with uh, a castle in the background mm -hmm. or a beach scene mm -hmm. or something like that. Uh, so, you know, AI is actually already costing human beings work. And I think, you know, what they're arguing for is not only that protection, but also like the protection against um, AI being used to change what they say. So like if they want to do a rewrite and they don't want to pay to fly the actor into a studio where they can sit in front of a microphone and do it again, or they don't want to pay for a reshoot, they can just use a computer to create that reshoot virtually, right? Actors don't want that to happen because they want control over their performance. And also they want to make sure that if they're being asked to do something in a movie that they're getting paid for that work. And Kate, what has been the primary argument of the major studios and the media moguls like David Zaslav or Bob Iger uh, in this fight? It's been pretty jarring how out of touch a lot of the executives' arguments have been. You know, they are tending to say, you know, this, it's show business. It's it's not something we're doing for fun. We are trying to make a profit. There's, I think there's been a lot of attempts to play off people's sympathies about how especially like the movie industry has gone through a very rocky patch, you know, uh, during COVID when theaters were shut for a long time, there were really great concerns that the movie industry wouldn't recover. And so there's been a lot of attempts to play off people's genuine love of cinema and to say, look, we're, we're just doing what needs to be done to turn a profit in an increasingly difficult business, which would be 
a line that I think would hold much more appeal if we weren't able to look up how much these executives were making <laughs> and then compare it to what people are demanding and see that like hundreds of million dollars of, of executive compensation doesn't necessarily correlate um, in a persuasive way with a studio that has no choice but to underpay and exploit its actors and writers and all of the people who are actually like making the products that people want to watch. Mm-hmm. And have there been any concessions so far, particularly maybe with the Writers Guild, since that had a nearly two month head start? It seems very much in flux still. Like I, I, I think people are surprised that there ha- this hasn't been resolved. I think people on both sides were hoping it would be resolved more quickly, but. I, I'm curious. I think that the fact that SAG-AFTRA jumped in and are now striking alongside the WGA is going to be a huge boon to the WGA and to the workers in the industry in general. But right now it's completely unresolved. Like I'm assuming in my, in my optimistic heart that there will be compromises made, but yeah, so far, I mean, there, there's no contracts, there's no agreements. It's, it's unclear how exactly this will shake out. All right, let's take a quick break and we're going to come back with more Strike Talk. This podcast is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Each episode features insight you won't find anywhere else from the center of the conversation surrounding emerging technologies like AI. Right now on the podcast, you can hear a special episode where Brad Smith lays out Microsoft's vision for a vibrant marketplace driving the new AI economy. To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Want a new podcast to look forward to each week? One that's entertaining, informative, and packed with actionable content? Come on, of course you do. Introducing The Jordan Harbinger Show. The Jordan Harbinger Show, which Apple named one of its best of 2018, is aimed at making you a better informed, more critical thinker so you can get a sense of how the world actually works and come to your own conclusions about what's happening, even inside your own brain. Jordan dives into the minds of fascinating people, from athletes, authors, and scientists, to mobsters, spies, and hostage negotiators. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I, N as in Nancy, G-E-R, in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. We've now covered what the Hollywood strike is about and what exactly it is that writers and actors are fighting for here. And for what it's worth, all of us being union members here, we get it. So our next conversation isn't us expressing dismay around the pauses in production or suggesting that people should cross the picket line for our entertainment. But we do want to talk about the trickle down effects of this and what the film and TV industry might look like, say, a year from now. Kate, what happens if the strike goes on for months? What then? We're definitely going to see a change in what new content is available to uh, watch or listen to, you know. There's going to be a point where there aren't as many Hollywood-based productions coming out because there's currently a pause on them being made. Now, that doesn't mean there's going to be no TV shows or movies. You know, I'm expecting Netflix will be leaning really heavily on the fact that it's a global company and that it can uh, put out productions from countries where 
the actors and writers are in different unions or not unionized at all. Um, I think that networks, network TV shows and very US centric movie studios will be the most negatively impacted because they won't have the ability to do that. So like Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, the the big streamers are better positioned to handle the strike than um, more like their legacy competitors. Uh, it will be very interesting. So one thing I used to be in the WGA when I worked for The Ringer, I was messaging my coworkers asking them if they were going to be on strike. And the answer is no, even though they're part of the WGA, the people who are part of the digital wing of the WGA are not on strike. They're not even allowed to go on strike because they have no strike clauses in the contracts that they've um, created with their digital media companies. So, you know, play like podcast studios will continue to put out a lot of content. It'll be interesting to see if Hollywood stars who also have podcasts will lean into podcasting even more since that's something they can do without becoming scabs. Um, and then, of course, game shows will definitely be more prominent. Apparently, there's a Celebrity Wheel of Fortune already coming out in September. Reality shows. I'm very uh, interested in how AI will play into all of this because it seems like something that executives might be very tempted to use to like create uh scripts and even actors but that's also going to really enrage the people that they're currently in this conflict with so i would bet that ai will be experimented with but i'm i'm not sure how broadly i guess it depends how hostile things get um my larger level predictions are uh podcasting is going to continue to grow because that's something that people can do uh, and then reality TV and game shows. Although on podcasts, there are still limitations for who the if celebrities can appear on podcasts to promote a film, right? They can't. No, they can't promote their films. They can't like we couldn't have uh, someone on to talk about a movie that they were doing. But, you know, there you know how there are celebrities like, for instance, Mark Marin. I'm assuming he's in the WGA and SAG. After, or he's definitely in SAG. He can still do his podcast, though, where he interviews other people. Mm-hmm. So there's this whole like genre of celebrity podcasters like Dak Shepard, the guys on Smartless. They can all still do their podcasts. They just can't have fellow celebrity guests on come to promote their work. So that will definitely change the dynamics, especially in interview shows where a lot of times people are on specifically to promote their work, but it won't complete it won't completely halt those productions i think as time goes on we might see uh solidarity showing up in different places uh like for example uh i know snoop dogg recently canceled his 30th anniversary doggy style concert at the hollywood bowl uh, because he doesn't feel like he can do it in hollywood given the the current situation um also you know with nobody to promote television shows that are already in the bag and that are coming out Studios have been reaching out to social media influencers to ask them if they would promote the shows on their TikTok feeds or on Instagram. And some of them are doing it because they're paying a lot of good money and that's how they make their living. But some of them are saying no, partially out of solidarity, but also partially because like those influencers have aspirations at being on shows 
at some point in their careers and they don't want to get on the bad side of the unions by they don't want to scab right they don't want to scab yeah that's interesting yeah, so, yeah. i actually there was a really good new york times piece out today talking about influencers in this and and it was noting that sag has a rule that if you do scab they won't give you membership yeah. so it's like an explicit rule so so i think people who might be in the influencer world now but are hoping to get on scripted tv they're not going to they're probably not going to take the the short term profit over like the long arc of their career right so we sent a writer to Comic-Con to cover it for Wired. And it was a mixed bag um, because there were some people, there's a big intersection of Hollywood and TV and film and the comic world. And so I think the writer said there was definitely a smaller crowd than in years past. And some people were still, uh, you know, getting really into cosplay and, um, and showing support for their favorite franchises and that sort of thing. But other people showed up like to effectively strike in a sense. And there was this quote in the article that I thought was really interesting. Uh, someone the writer spoke to said, I really feel we're at the beginning of a middle class stand in this country. One of the reasons people are so sympathetic to us is that the problems of writers as labor mirror the problems of labor as labor right now. So I'm curious how you both think this is reflective of the broader labor movement happening in the United States. I think that one of the main lines that you'll get from executives who oppose unionization is like if an executive is trying to denigrate a, a group of people who have unionized who are are like writers like sort of white collar professionals they'll they'll sort of make fun of them and be like you know you're not farm hands what do you need a union for and what this strike and what uh unionization efforts at places like Starbucks have shown is that the similarities between these groups are so much bigger than the differences um, exploitation is exploitation regardless of the exact flavor. And I think even though maybe some people are looking at the bigger names who are involved with these strikes and thinking, you know, wow, is it so bad for Brian Cranston? He's famous. Or like, how is it so bad for the writers of Succession? Like, are there, I think more people are looking at what they're asking for and seeing how reasonable it is and seeing how it's very uh it's like i think a very good example of the widening gulf between like workers who are creating something and executives who are profiting off of those things in this country across um industries one one big way i think it's reflective is is when people hear about the specific demands like how residuals used to be the backbone of a writer's um, compensation and way to earn a living, and now it's just sort of evaporated. They understand that even though writers might be a little more high profile than a lot of professions, uh, the things that have happened to make it harder for them to earn a middle-class living are near universal in this country, regardless of what industry you're in. Uh, whether it's residuals evaporating or pensions getting taken away or uh, executive compensation ballooning while wages stay stagnant despite rapid inflation. Uh, there's a very clear through line of workers losing uh, access to opportunities to earn a middle-class lifestyle as their bosses continue to become wealthier and wealthier. Yeah. 
And in the case of SAG-AFTRA and the WGA, it also has to do with the proliferation of technology in their industry, right? The technology has evolved to the point where we can all stream in high definition now. Uh, that has changed the economics of how these shows work. There are more shows there are fewer opportunities to find out exactly how many people are watching those shows. Seasons are much shorter. Uh, you know, it used to be 24, 25, 30 episodes per season. Now it's like eight to 12 episodes per season. All of the, the pace of production is accelerated to the point where you don't spend as much time working on things. And with the proliferation of AI in all of these creative processes, people are left sort of scratching their heads wondering what's next. So I do think that like those problems, while they are very specific to uh, the entertainment industry and Hollywood, we can see the correlation between the how technology has affected that industry and how it's affected other industries when you look at things like warehouse workers and fulfillment workers and what's going on with Amazon and how they use technology and how that's affected their workers. So I do think that like, yeah, it's tech, tech is coming to eat all of us. And um, Hollywood is just a very high profile example of that. How do both of you feel about what would be an AI generated film? Oh. Because you know, people right now are sitting there, executives are sitting there with ChatGPT open and they're <laughs> they're tinkering around with just writing a script. I'm and sure like, there will be been, one. I'm, I'm certain these have already landed on, you know, assistance desks somewhere. At um, some point this year, there will be a show that comes out that is written and acted by AI and they're going to hold it up as like, how about this? And everybody in our industry is going to dunk on it. And I can't wait to read Kate's story about how bad it is. <laughs> How do I can't wait for the wired the wired group outing of that. I, I, but but truly, how would either of you feel if you knew uh, like one of the characters in Barbie or Oppenheimer were completely AI generated? I would probably feel unhappy because of this context that that generation was occurring in. I think five years ago, I honestly wouldn't have cared. I was thinking about you know when I said Gladiator Two is currently. Uh, halted. Gladiator 1, I remember because I was a huge fan of that movie, there was this behind the scenes uh, like little featurette about how they had created like a lot of the extras in that movie are computers way back when. They're like very early computerized extras because they had to fill the whole Coliseum and that's not all real people. And back then, that just seemed like a cool new use of technology. And I'm not completely against using AI in creative contexts at all. It's it's the distaste for it primarily comes from the fact that it's happening as there's this ongoing effort to make it harder for writers and actors and set designers and, and everyone who's involved in the making of films to earn a living. So yeah, if if there is a movie coming out right now with a totally AI character, my reaction would be sort of anger or disgust but largely because of like the larger uh, sort of like ideological conversation and not because like there's something inherently wrong with the tech um yeah it's just hard to cheer for it now because of of how this is happening you know if there is a way for these technologies to be experimented with um that that ensured that people were still being compensated or that it didn't completely disrupt the industry, it would be a lot easier to just think of it as like a neat, a neat innovation and not something that's going to make the world less uh, friendly to creative endeavors by humans. Yeah. I think 
with audio mediums, audio media, things like uh, audiobooks, podcasts, radio DJs, it's a little bit harder to detect when something is AI generated. I'm sure that there are AI generated radio DJ voices, uh, you know, on the dial right now. And we don't know because we like our brains. It's harder for us to uh, the uncanny valley is much slimmer. <laughs> mm, I think isn't Spotify already experimenting with that? Yeah, they have yeah. they have a, an AI, AI DJ DJ to get yeah. the to get the party started right on your Spotify feed. Um and I think about video games, right? Uh, the characters on the screen are already computer generated, right? They're made with a virtual engine. And the voices often, for at least games that are driven by plot, they use real voice actors for the voices in the games. And you know, video games have long used computer generated voices. Uh, maybe we'll see more of that in video games. Maybe um, we'll have like sound alikes you know, like an actor who sounds sort of like Tom Holland, but is like clearly not Tom Holland, just to evoke the Tom Hollandness of the Spider-Man character in the game. You know, maybe we'll have things like that start to show up more often. And I don't mean, you know, just because of the strike. I mean, because like the strike is sending a clear signal about the role that these technologies are going to play and what's safe and what is not. And people are going to start experimenting even more than they already are. And just to be clear, this podcast really is hosted by us. We have not yet defaulted to using AI-generated voices. <laughs> we did an episode on this a few months back at this point. Boone here, our producer, has been storing up all this data on us, and he created some scary Mike and Lauren voices. Yep. It was really quite unnerving. It is so unnerving. Yeah. The things that he made me say, I'll never forgive <laughs> We'll just him. have to go into our back catalog and listen. <laughs> All right, uh, Kate, stick around because we're going to come back and do our weekly recommendations. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Luna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. Kate Nibbs, our guest, what is your recommendation this week? My recommendation is a, a crossover uh, material from another Conde uh, property because I went to Pitchfork Music Fest last weekend and I'm an old millennial who's not super hip. So I didn't know most of the artists playing. And I had one of those very lovely experiences where I went to shows uh, a total uh, like I didn't know anything. And then I walked away being a huge fan of a few different uh, bands and artists that I saw. Um, one was called Nation of Language, and they're um, a cool sort of pop band. And I had literally never heard of them. And now I have one of their albums uh, coming on the way to my house. I like them so much that I went out and bought it. Um, and then the other one 
uh, that really, I mean, I didn't see a bad show there, but the other one that really blew me away was a Queens-based singer named Yaya Bay. She put on one of the funnest performances I've seen in in years. So Nation of Languages and Yaya Bay, uh, very different music, but both phenomenal. And those are my recs. Awesome. That's nice. And that's Bay, B-E-Y. B-E-Y, yeah. Y-A-Y-A-B-E-Y. Nice. Kate, I saw on your Instagram, uh, if I may share this, you posted a photo of your son standing in a field of grass (laughs) wearing these uh, cool sunglasses. He's a Mm -hmm. little guy. And you posted at Pitchfork. And I honestly thought it was ironic. Like I was because he looked like a little festival goer. No, he was really at Pitchfork. And then I saw your next photos and I was like, oh, rad. Kate's at Pitchfork. Cool. He only lasted two hours. (laughs) Still, baby's first Pitchfork. That's yeah, baby's first music fest. It was fun. Nice. Um, so great. And you were there with uh, our friend Pooja Patel. Yes. She's the best. Cool. She was on Have a Nice Future, our other podcast recently, which everyone should go check out. I was waiting for that. You're welcome. <laughs> Mike, what's your recommendation? I'm surprised you weren't there. You're such a music guy. Uh, yeah, it was It was like halfway across the country. Clearly, you're not that big of a music guy. I guess not. I I would have flown out to see Julia Jacqueline, but I understand oh, yeah. that her set was cut short. Your girlfriend? By, Why? Uh, by by a storm, right? Didn't a storm blow through during Julia Jacqueline's set? Julia Jacqueline, yeah, there was like um, Julia Jacqueline, Panda Bear, Snail Mail, all got cut short because they we had to evacuate. It was a mm. bummer. Okay, so my recommendation this yeah, week. Yeah, uh, I want to recommend a movie about a bunch of brainy do-it-yourselfers who go out to the desert in order to construct a bomb Okay, so Oppenheimer. that they think <laughs> will cause great change in the world and promote peace among humanity. And it's not Oppenheimer. It's not Oppenheimer. It's called How to Blow Up a Pipeline. Okay. It's a narrative feature. It's very low budget. It looks like it was you know shot for a few thousand dollars and some coffee. Uh, but it's very good, very good acting, really great direction, great writing, and a wonderful message. It is about a group of people who go out to the desert. They don't know each other. They've all met. Well, some of them know each other, but most of them are strangers to each other. They all meet over like signal uh, and they go out to uh, the desert in Texas to blow up a pipeline. And they're doing it because they believe that like the destruction of corporate property that disrupts the industry of oil production is the thing that is going to draw attention to the climate crisis. And uh, it's a movie about putting those um, beliefs into action it's a movie about uh, how strong are your convictions, uh, what are you willing to sacrifice, and what are your motivations for doing these things. So you learn about the inner lives of the characters and what is driving them to make these decisions. Uh, it's really excellent, um, especially right now. I mean, the movie is very urgent. People feel very urgently about the climate crisis, and uh, the movie is uh, not necessarily like encouraging people to go blow things up, but it is um, showing how to do that, which is also feels a little um, transgressive, I think, uh, a little bit dangerous. And I like that about it because I like things that are edgy. Uh, but it's also just a just a beautiful experience. I really liked it. And what did you stream it on? Uh, I streamed it on the internet. Okay. Like, <laughs> which is to say you can rent it everywhere. It's everywhere. Okay. It, it came out last year. I think it premiered at Toronto Film Festival in 2022. And it is now okay. available for rent on all the streaming platforms. Okay. Yes. So it was at TIFF. That's what the cool kids say, right? TIFF. TIFF, yeah. Not like JPEGs, but like Toronto International Film Festival. <laughs> right. yeah. Exactly. 
That's a great recommendation. Thank you. I'm going to try to watch it. Great. I hope you enjoy it. What is your recommendation? Kate mentioned the Mark Maron podcast earlier. Uh, I do like a good Mark Maron podcast. I think I, I've i recommended it before on this show, right? Oh, yes. Which episode? Do you remember? All, all of them. No, there was a specific episode. <laughs> I don't remember which one. Um, so one of the more recent episodes, he interviews Cillian. <sighs> I'm one day going to get that right. Killian. Killian. I, oh, it's Murphy. My, my brain just goes to Cillian. Isn't that weird? Cons- I mean, I also. It's because he's silly beautiful. He, he's got a silly baby face. <laughs> uh, when you think of, I used to drink a, like a lot of Killian's beer, so you would think that I would get that right. Um, sorry, Mark Marin interviews Killian Murphy. Um, two reasons why I like this episode in particular. One is because for basically the first 15 minutes of it, would you say, Mike, you listen to it as well. Uh, Mark talks about the strike, the Hollywood strike, and makes an impassioned case for it. And um, also makes clear that he did this interview with the actor Killian Murphy before all the actors went on strike. Um, and so he was airing it a little bit later. Um, but two, because... Um, I think Killian Murphy is having this kind of breakout moment because of Oppenheimer. I think a lot of people knew who he was from his prior work and Peaky Blinders, which I had never really gotten into. But uh, I think of all of the potential critiques you could make of the film Oppenheimer, and they are out there, you can find them. And we talked about it a little bit on last week's episode as well, the fact that it fails the Bechdel test. Um, I do think that his performance is great. And so it was it was a fun listen to listen to that's great um, just to learn a little bit more about him although yeah. he's you still don't learn a whole lot but that's okay <laughs> uh, yeah and so i recommend checking out the mark Marin wtf podcast episode i think with killian murphy that movie is going to sweep the oscars yeah there's critical consensus about it being good it's a box office hit it's christopher nolan and there will be no other movies this year because of the strike so I think it's like, this is what we get. We get Oppenheimer and Barbie and Barbie's the bigger hit, but I think Oppenheimer is the one that is going to win all the Oscars. It's going to win all the acting awards, the directing awards, the editing awards, the sound awards, the cinematography awards, all of it. That's, that's, that's my prediction. prediction. That's my prediction. All right. Well, that's good because, you know, we might be watching that till the end of time. Like next year, if there's no new films out, we might just be like, let's watch Oppenheimer again. Will there be an Oscars? Oh, that's a good question. Will there be a telecast? Will it just be like the president of the, the society? We're like, all going to be stuck watching names. Zuck versus Musk cage match. <laughs> We're all going to be stuck watching Zuck versus Musk cage match. I can't fucking talk. Uh, We're all going to be stuck watching a Zuck versus Musk cage masses from now. I can't say it. Fuck it. <laughs> I, I gave up on the joke. I tried workshopping it. It didn't work. Sometimes you have to let things go. You do. Zuck versus Musk is like a very awkward thing to say. Like it doesn't come out of the mouth very nicely. But I agree we're going to be stuck watching Musk versus Zuck. It's the reality TV future we deserve. Yeah. Um, All right. This has been a great conversation. Kate, thanks so much for joining us. It's always great to have you on the pod. Thank you so much for having me. I can't wait. Uh, to come back and I can't wait until you finally make me the friend of the pod merch that you promised to make me last <laughs> That's time. right. That's right. We need to make that for Kate. We also, we wanna, uh, we're going to get some Wired Running merch. Yeah. We've been talking Ooh. about that to the group of us who go run this race in Oakland 
uh, once in a while. And, and train for it together. And train for it together. Mike and I go running together. And um, we've, been, we've been saying for a while we we're going to get some Wired merch. Yep. As though, like, does that convert to subscriptions, do you think? As, like, running like fools around a lake in Oakland a few times. And like, people know. are like, you know, I should subscribe to that magazine. Maybe we should try negotiating like it into our... Fun. Maybe we should try negotiating it into our union contract. <laughs> and on that note, thanks to all of you for listening. If you have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter. Just check the show notes. Someone actually did leave us feedback recently. Yeah, they, they called us a, uh, a bunch of uh, journalism majors that know nothing about tech. And I just have something to say to that. Not a journalism major. Who know nothing about tech? Yes. <laughs> Our producer is the excellent Boone Ashworth. We'll be back next week. Goodbye for now. Hackers and cyber criminals have always held this kind of special fascination. Obviously, I can't tell you too much about what I do. It's a game. Who's the best hacker? And I was like, well, this is child's play. I'm Dina Temple Raston. And on the Click Here podcast, you'll meet them and the people trying to stop them. We're not afraid of the attack. We're afraid of the creativity and the intelligence of the human being behind it. Click Here, stories about the people making and breaking our digital world. AI machines, satellite, engine ignition. Click Here. And lift off. Click Here, every Tuesday and Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. From PR.